Mario starts in a sleepy little town Down around Anzio And the guys are prepping for another game Read an SSR The ultras in this one are strange Always the season it seems Talking about, talking about olive groves, olive groves Oh, oh, olive groves Well, the MF and AMP, they provide double groves Have a hindrance of one Though it's not quite apparent, they are inherent and T-E-M is one. Some say that this rule's a name, but it's part of the game. Oh, talking about olive groves. Ho, ho, olive groves. They grow in the Mediterranean, you find them in North Africa too. Rule A932 says, if bees in growth can claim all adventures, that's right. Though it's part of the ASL game, the groves don't see much play. So just keep rechecking rule at 13. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Dave. It's me, Dan Dolan. Just hanging out here, looking at my newly arrived Sword and Fire Manila. Boy, that's a big box. I just wanted to say hello. Haven't talked to you guys in a while. Show's rolling right along toward 300. I remember back at 200 when you were thinking about retiring, becoming book reviewers. That's a good thing you left uh, the, the town on that one because uh, you just don't fit the book reviewer type guy. And uh, I like the interviews, you know. You put these old ASL guys on there, like me. And we're all having, like, you know, the Keith Richards contest. Who's going to live longer? You know, I was doing real good until I hit 50. The wheels came off at 50. But uh, you guys are doing well. I like the interviews, as I said, with the older guys. I don't like these young guy interviews because I got nothing in common with them. Other than they play starter kit, and uh, I have to forget everything that I've learned. You guys, on the other hand, you talk to the older people. I like that. You're talking to my generation, which is the worst generation as things go. Um, we screwed it up. And, uh, hey, listen, if you guys ever get around to doing uh, number 300, I'd be happy to call in and say, I told you you'd be here at 300. Where the hell else are you going to go? Have a good day. Hello, Two Half Squad. This is Dennis checking in. Haven't talked to you guys in a while. Say, I've been listening to the Half Squads these last couple of months, the new episodes. I'm looking forward to episode 300. But I got to say, I woke up last night thinking there's something been missing these last couple of weeks. So I enjoy the box art review sometimes. 
and the interviews are pretty okay, and the what's in the box kind of thing, that's tolerable sometimes. But I figured out what's really missing are those parodies. They open up the show, they set the tone, they're clever, they're funny, they're relevant, they just make the show, I can't say enough about them. So there you have it. Thanks for all your hard work, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Hi, Dad. Hi, Jeff. It's Aaron. Congrats on your 300th show. That's pretty impressive. And, you know, I'm, I have to admit, I'm a little surprised you made it that far. You know, the kids these days don't really care about ASL. I think it's kind of lost its novelty. But, but uh, hey, I mean, congrats. And um, here's to 100 more, if you're lucky. Um, and also I do want to mention, I really, really love the, the music, you know, that one rule song is super modern, super fresh. I think it, you know, it gives a, a an air of youthfulness that, that is, is much needed at times. So con- congrats. Hey guys, just calling in to tell you how much I enjoy your work. You guys are great. Dave, I love your English accent and Martin, your accent is cool too. Illuminating rounds is such a great show. Fabulous work, boys. Hi guys, it's Alan from Edinburgh here. Hope things are all well with you. Congratulations on 300 episodes. I must admit, I've liked several of them, especially show number 38 and 156. Show 200 was okay too as well, I guess. But otherwise, the rest of them could have been a lot better, guys. But still, 300 isn't too bad, I guess. Take care, guys. Hey, Jeff and Dave, it's Stu here from Vaseline with Stu. Just wanted to say congrats on 300 episodes. The shows are pretty good. I particularly like the part of the show when, when, well, let's see. Maybe the segment's on, hmm, well, not really those, I guess. Oh, oh yeah, the parts when you guys, nah. Maybe when, hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The interviews, those are great. It's nice to hear people who actually know ASL and know what they're talking about. Yeah, the interviews are great. So keep up the good work, roll low, and continue to rally well. Hi, Jeff and Dave. It's your grandma calling. I'm enjoying a lovely summer's day in my garden outside. Uh, Congratulations on your 300th show. Uh, I still do think it's a waste of your time. Should have stuck with teaching, Dave. Should have stuck with that. Um, but ta-ta for now. Enjoy it. Toodaloo. Hey, guys. This is Chris. Congratulations on your 300th episode. You know, it's amazing how when I tune in, I get perfectly timed advice as I'm dealing with my own dental health and rodent issues. Thanks guys for that 299th episode. Your ASL content is okay. And now that you're starting to get the hang of this thing, I think after another 300 episodes, you're likely to convince some unbelievers that advanced squad leader really is the greatest game in the world. Hey, I hear y'all. You fellas know the rules real well. And I've been, uh, I've been losing a lot of games because of the doggone rules in ASL. And I was hoping Y'all might uh, direct me to a good rules lawyer. I hear those guys really know what they're doing and could mentor or tutor me into some 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 good wins. So if y'all know of anybody, let me know. 
Thanks. Uh, hello, yes, guys. It's Perry over at the MMP. Uh, just calling to give you a cease and desist order, and uh, our lawyers will be in touch. <laughs> Take care, guys. everybody and welcome to yet another exciting episode of the two half squads the one and only podcast dedicated 100 to the greatest game in the world what is that dave advanced squad leader that is correcto i'm jeff i'm dave this is episode 3000 close 300 episode 300 it's it's a big day and we have special guests with us today. We have Rich Spilkey. Raise your hand, Rich. Hey there. Very good. Rich follows instructions very well. Mike, raise Mike Rizzi, raise your hand. <laughs> yes, it's floating off screen. And, and Jared Spilkey, no relation to Rich Spilkey. Oh no, maybe there is a slight relation there to Rich Spilkey. Very special guest speaking on behalf of uh, of a group. So, uh, Jared, what is, how is it that we're honored to have your presence here again? Well, I know it's my job to appear every 100 episodes. So sure enough, I've appeared on the 300th episode, episode 100, episode 200, episode 300. So like clockwork, I'm, I'm here. It's amazing. We'll see. I guess we'll see you next at episode 400. Yeah, I'll see you guys again in 100 episodes. I'm already looking forward to it. <laughs> Don't hold your breath, friends. So 300 is uh, a number. Uh, somebody might say it's a milestone. Somebody might say it's a tombstone. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Does it mean anything? Not really. It's just a number. It is just a it's number. It's just a number. It's like my IQ, 300. It's just, <laughs> it's just a number. In fact, once people see the content of this show, they'll realize it is just a number. Yeah. People are going to look for this and say, oh, I've never seen this show or listened to this show. I'm going to listen to the episode 300. I'll bet it's really good. Yeah. We'll tell you right now. It's going to be like the rest of our shows. Not, not that great, but good. Yeah. So anyway, we're here. Dave, how do you feel about 300? About the same. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> You could tell from those phone calls we got that yeah. opened the show. Yeah. Yeah. Is anybody drinking a special beverage? Uh, special mug. That's a beautiful mug. Where'd you get that? Well, Jeff, yeah. about a month ago. This is this is where the 300 has kind of a special tone because so in the mail, this arrives along with Jeff's mug. We received these special mugs. No one told us who sent them. We don't know yet who sent them. And we're like, oh, Jeff, look, somebody actually thinks 300 is a big deal. So, and then a few days later, are you ready for that, Jeff? Normally we don't open anonymous. We received our own ashes from our own <laughs> cremations. 
So we got them. The journal household the got my ashes. No, we got something better than ashes. What's in the box, Jeff? Oh yeah, let's do it. What's in the box? It's not your ashes, but it might be uh, like a headstone. I think I am gonna put it on my gravestone. I don't know how we get a good shot of this, but for people uh, listening in radio land, these are like crystal obelisks about uh, 11 inches tall with the two half squads emblem on it and our names and 300th episode. And uh, can you read the inscription there, Dave? Yes. In thanks and appreciation for your devotion and dedication to the ASL community, roll low and rally well, April 16, 2008. That was our first show. So that's pretty nice. Crazy nice. Yeah. And, and you can like, if you have a home intruder, you, not only can you bludgeon them, but you can spear them. Yeah. Like right into them. You could split them. Yeah. You could, you could split. Very versatile. Yeah. So I, I, do we know who sent these? I No, I think Dennis, I don't know, really. That's really nice. Super nice. We are very uh, honored that uh, somebody would go to all that trouble. Yeah, Mike, do you have a trophy? I don't have a trophy. Rich, Jared. Well, you guys were nice enough to give me with the, the two half squad uh, shot glass. Oh, yeah, I have one of those As a little, <laughs> little memento of my participation from time to time. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, you guys were a little hard on yourselves, I thought, there on the front end. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm sure Mike, you know, Mike, Mike might agree, but... You know, I, I fell in love with you guys uh, the first uh, 100 episodes or so. I, I have listened to every single one. Now, yes, some are better than others. Yeah, no doubt about that. But mostly they're really good and they're really entertaining and they're really interesting. And I think you guys have done a remarkable job. And, uh, you know, these gifts you're getting and these, these kind words you're getting from people are a testament to that. Yeah. Well, thanks, Rich. Thank you. And I, your check's in the mail. <laughs> but yeah being humble uh it it was cool to get those things ahead of 300 yeah and it, and it has been really an honor to do this show uh and uh, people like it we haven't had anybody i well one person wrote and said they didn't like it <laughs> except for all, all those call-ins at the beginning of the show They're, yeah but uh, the rest of the people don't that don't like it don't bother to tell us that they don't like it which is very nice but um it has been a really good honor we've done some great interviews we've met some great people it's given us opportunities that we wouldn't have had otherwise and so uh well i don't think you guys give yourself enough credit at all from your place in history you know when i first met you guys before you had even started the show there was nothing like this and in wargaming or asl alone and once your podcast came out and you're still at it all this time dozens of these kinds of things have come and gone but you guys are still here setting the benchmark Having created this format, here we are. Well, a long time. Well, the audio, I mean, the visual benchmark's been moved way ahead of us. Well, yes. I mean, yes, you've inspired them all, though. Good I don't think there's anybody who does any of the new other content with the things they bring to the table, but I think they all say started with you guys. Yeah. Well, when I first heard um, Dragons Landing in, D, D podcast and my friend would daryl would bring him over on a disc he would burn them to us like a cd <laughs> and i would play them 
in the basement while I'm painting. And so we're like, Jeff. Yeah. Dave called one day and said, do you want to do a podcast? And I knew what it was. So yeah, we, when you think about the, the topic, you know, advanced squad leader, ASL, one of the most uh, detailed and, you know, complex, but fascinating games in World War II tactical combat that very, you know, that not that many people are willing to spend the energy learning how to play. And you've made it like you've, you've covered the whole gamut, you know, like some of your stuff is so funny. I have tears rolling down my cheeks. I can't stop laughing. I can't breathe. It's so hilarious that, you know, and, and then on the other hand, on the serious end, you've got strategy, you've got uh, a lot of the uh, founders of the game and icons of the game to comment on, you know, their work and their history and their involvement and their development efforts. So, I mean, you've got, you, you know, you've got box art review, you've got the rules and the songs and the letters. My goodness, I mean, you have really added a lot of creativity to, you know, uh, you know, I, I would have never thought of those things. You, you guys have done a remarkable job of bringing the game out and in, the, in a great way and getting people interested and from experienced players to beginners. So, you know, hats off to you. You were, you were quite modest there in the beginning, I thought, and Mike thought that too, I think. But really, you've done a, a great job and a great service. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks very much. I do remember launching when, Jeff, um, let's say I was at school and I think Jeff texted me or something, we're gonna launch at 10 o'clock or something today. And I got on the website and I'm like, oh, oh my God, 10 people, <laughs> 15. And I'd run into the library because the guy in the library was a tech guy and he's a good friend of mine. I'd be like, Ray, there's like 40 people have hit the site already. It truly was exciting. And, you know, I have memories like Jeff talking me through how to first post to Podbean a show. And I'm following his little directions. And then it's like, hit, hit go and watching the line. <laughs> and then it uploaded. And I was like, oh my gosh, I put a podcast on. Yeah. And that was all before really social media we hadn't really taken off. The iPhone hadn't come out yet. So it was uh, it was new. It was a very new uh, medium for us. And now, of course, there are so many podcasts. I think everybody, Rich, I'm surprised that you and Mike and Jared don't have your own podcast. Seems like everybody's got a podcast. But um, yeah, still, this, we're the only ASL podcast. So that's pretty good. Yeah, and an honor to interview the people that yeah. have been involved in the game. Yeah. But, well, there, there's a lot of guys that are still crossing their fingers, maybe maybe crossing their fingers in vain, but I hope not, that you'll still be able to land, you know, you've landed a lot of big names, but there's a couple more big names you haven't landed yet. Yeah. Uh, Bob McNamara, Don Greenwood come to mind. Um, there it may won't. be more than that, and you may not be able to get them, but if you could, boy, that would be a real coup. Yes. Would yeah, that would. Complete the triumvirate, right? Of, yeah, they're not interested right now, so... Okay. But there's your benchmark. You can't stop the podcast until you've interviewed those two guys. Yeah. Okay. There we go. There's we the have rule. A, we have a goal. Yes. All right. So on we go. So what do we got next, Dave? Well, how about a roundtable discussion? <laughs> ah, okay. We have a square table here, but we're going yeah, to do. Too. We're going to do a virtual roundtable. And this is a concept that Mike Rizzi ran into somewhere. Do you want to tell us about that, Mike? 
the discussion often comes up that uh, what does ASL teach us, right? Historically, what is ASL about? Does it teach us lessons of World War II? Um, is it the game that teaches these rules? Is it the supplements? Um, what does it do for us as a game and as a teaching tool? Well, I'd say, first of all, it teaches me how to throw dice. When I get angry, when the dice come up, boxcars, I learn to hurl them across the room. That's that it. You do it quite well. Yeah. That's it. That, that really brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> oh, I, I, I learn a lot from playing the game. I mean, but I come from a, a, somebody who doesn't really study World War II that much. So I don't know all of the, the details of all the equipment used and the formations of units and that kind of thing. I think, and I think because of that, it, it teaches me. Uh, it may not, you know, if I came in and I was very detail oriented, I'm sure I could pick apart the game. And I'm sure there's plenty of people who do that. Pick apart the game saying, oh, that's not realistic. That's not the way that tank really worked. Or in, you know, in this situation, they wouldn't have used that or units wouldn't move like this. And the fact that you have to balance a scenario in order to make it playable, they might think just throws a wrench in the whole uh, feasibility that it's that it's realistic at all. But coming from a, like I say, coming from a background like me, it teaches me a lot. I've learned a lot about men and material strategies, uh, nationalities that were engaged in different parts of the world that I didn't realize. Um, a lot of, you know, really basic stuff uh, is, is still full of information. Even if you're just playing Americans against the Germans or Germans against the Russians, still have an opportunity to learn a lot about the capabilities of, of units in general and the way they move. And I, I think it's been great for me. It's definitely the greatest strength of the game that it's the breadth of the materials presented. You can do anything pretty much now, right? I can't think of any topic that isn't untouched somewhere by ASL. Um, it's and it presents the information in a very digestible format. I'll let Rich speak to the math behind it all because that's more his forte. But when you look at the comparative analysis of tanks, troop types, any of these things in a in a mathematical way, you can see the, rel the relative strengths, merits, deficiencies of all of these things pretty much at a glance once you understand how the system works. And that's pretty historically accurate, right? Right, I would say it, it. It it at least in terms of giving it a value, it presents the information correctly. Yeah, I, I would say it, it doesn't really teach you the um, like political history, like some games do, where you have political events that influence things because it's not at that scale. You know, it's at the tactical scale. But you know, again, teaching you though why. You know, the stereotypical Russian soldier, American soldier, German soldier, Japanese soldier, what have you, acted like they did or like they're perceived, you know, in the, uh, you know, in the movies or in the, uh, you know, just in the storytelling, you know, the rules about those nations or just, you know, the way the, uh, the range and the firepower work with point blank fire and long range fire and rate of fire with machine guns and what have you, 
it basically forces you as the player to kind of behave the way the stereotypical commander of the Russian forces, of the American forces would behave. You know, you, you're kind of forced to, if you know, if you want to do well, you need to use the troops at your disposal, uh, you know, to maximize their efficiency and the rules do a great job, you know, like the Americans. They generally have lower morale, but then they rally back more quickly. So, you know, that's, and they have a lot of firepower. And that represents the fact that they were more likely to run away. Oh, well, uh, wait to attack until they could bring up more firepower, stuff like that. Yeah, they're well supplied. They often have uh, advantages on breakdown numbers and what have you. They usually have a plethora of weapons and machine guns with lots of ammunition, you know, as opposed to like, let's say the Russians who have a more frequent uh, breakdown number that's more likely to happen on their machine guns, for example. You know, the way the Japanese work are, is very unique and the way they behave, you know, you've got to act like the Japanese acted, you know, with their bonsai charges and what have to you. If you want to win, so to speak, in the scenario, you need to take advantage of what the rules give you and you end up, you know, learning those tactics because of the way the, you know, the rules that are granted to the Japanese units, the special rules of not breaking and what have you, and, you know, the HIP capabilities. Another thing I learned that's interesting is, and again, we could quibble about whether it's precise or not. It probably isn't precise. It, like Mike said, it's just a number to, you know, approximate things. But like I had, you know how, like, I guess as a typical American, before I knew about ASL, people would say, if they were talking about the Panzerfaust, they'd call it, you know, the American bazooka or the or German bazooka, you know. And I guess that's not a terrible analogy. It's not a mile a mile different, and I guess it's okay for high-level comparisons. But the way the game models, the you know anyone anyone who's played ASL knows that you know the Panzerfaust might be a little less accurate than the bazooka, but boy, if it hits, it almost always wipes out the tank. Whereas the bazooka, you know, maybe 50-50, not depending upon you know where you hit it on the side or in the front and you know what have you. So like I had no idea that the Panzerfaust was you know twice as powerful, roughly speaking. As the bazooka. Now, you know, some physics guy might argue, well, it really wasn't that. It was, you know, different than that. And I don't know. But generally, though, I've, I've heard no one complain or argue that they've overpowered the Panzerfaust in ASL. By now, someone would have said something if that was so. And so, I don't know, it just gives you an idea of the differences and, and, the, and why units use the tactics they did, why the Russians did so good in city fighting relative to the Germans, whereas the Germans were much better. Uh, you know, in the open because of their long-range capabilities of their weapons, both their their tank guns and their uh, long-range machine guns. You know, a great scenario is that classic scenario that's as old as ASL, just about called Hill 621, where you've got eight German squads and some machine guns on the big, you know, board two hill, and there's like 48 Russian squads charging at them, 48 to eight charging at them, but they almost all have like a range of two or four, and they're, you know, nowhere near the Germans in the beginning. So the Germans are, you know, trying to retreat and trying to consolidate, but they're outnumbered, you know, like six to one or something like that in the beginning. But it just gives you a classic idea of why the Russians acted the way they did, why the Germans acted the way they did in combat. And it's a great learning experience. I mean, you know, even think of platoon movement, you know, everyone wonders, you know, because like I've studied the numbers at least a little bit, and I don't know, I don't have it memorized, so I might be off of it. But you know, the French in the you know 1940 invasion had more AFEs than the Germans. They had more troops than the Germans. Their tanks were better than the Germans. 
And the Germans still won, and they won handily. Well, you know, a lot of it was because of the radios in the German tanks. And when you play those scenarios, and the French are hampered by radioless movement, and the Germans aren't, that makes a big difference in the game and presumably in real life. Just putting a radio in those vehicles and allowing them to communicate with each other and with the, uh, you know, with the leaders on the, on the ground gave the Germans a huge advantage that they were over to over, overcome the numbers. So, you know, platoon movement and not platoon movement is, you know, a, a rule in ASL. But so, you know, we, we've all read about that maybe in history books, but to actually play it out in a scenario and get the feel of what that means and how it looks and how it plays out, that really cements it in your mind. If I can add to your point there, Rich, uh, it's not only that those concepts you bring up, but it's the way that ASL is able to handle all those functions using the same tools within the game system. You talk about the Americans breaking, and if you read the notes about you know that the concept of the Americans having the higher broken morale, having more to do with the way American troops functioned in the field as opposed to them actually running away, more about uh, you know going to ground when they get shot at, representing what's going on with that, as opposed to them actually breaking and running away and then reforming using a morale role. But that's simulated by the morale role. You know, ASL uses the same system to differentiate all these nationalities using the elegance of the simple morale table and the, the fire table. All of these command and control rules would add layers and layers of rules onto any other system, how the Japanese operate, how the Americans operate. But the elegance of the system is how all of these things are simulated by the same essential mathematical algorithm using the morale table using the fire table and that's what makes asl so playable i mean it gets a bad rap as being this huge complicated game but really it's elegant it uses all of these subsystems to simulate these very different approaches to conducting world war ii infantry combat by using the sim a very similar approach that's easily understandable once you understand the core concepts of the game so, Mike, you're saying like the lower morale, the Americans uh, prevents you from having to give orders to hold in position or retreat. Right. You, you would have to come up with some rule about Americans advancing and, you know, only moving so far and some kind of limitation on their ability to, you know, to advance because of the way they operated in the field. Uh, and you'd have to come up with very distinct rule sets for the operation of units. Same with the Japanese. It's the use of the same system of, you know, taking a morale hit and flipping, but still being in the field without breaking. Maybe not how they really worked in the real world, right? I mean, taking a morale check by any other unit in the world just results in them running away as opposed to the Japanese taking half casualties if they fail the check, right? I mean, that's not really what's going on in ASL, but it's simulated by the elegance of the system. It works, it's understandable, and you don't have to learn a whole lot of rules. That's what makes ASL work, I think. It's also just cool, I think, just a, a cool factor. You know, one of the reasons I fell in love with ASL is, you know, when you look at the armor listings, it is amazing to see, you know, all the different types. And I know it's probably not all of them. You know, they had to make some cuts and some, you know, they couldn't do all of them. But they generally try to represent just about every single truck and half track and armored car and, you know, all the armored fighting vehicles, the tanks, the tank destroyers, open top, closed topped, with turrets, without, 
heavy armor, light armor, you know, whatever, you know, that's a plethora of things. And I, I'm sure the experts would quibble, oh, you know, the turret armor really wasn't that thick or the hull armor really wasn't that thin or whatever. Or they had, you know, four other versions of this that are not modeled in squad leader. Well, you know, whatever. I think it's remarkable <laughs> that they've even tried to, you know, show you the, like, what, what is it on the German side? I don't even remember the Panzer three, A, B, C, D, E, F, D, and H, I, J. I think they got all, you know, whatever. Maybe they had five more, but, you know, and they keep getting better as the years go by. And, you know, you, you can't design a scenario in 1943 and use tanks from 1944 if they didn't exist. Well, I guess you could, but you'd be breaking, you know, historical precedents if you did. So I mean, it's just remarkable the research that they did do to try to model as many of these vehicles and, uh, and then the infantry too. You know, a German squad is not a German squad. I mean, how many different kinds of squads are there? There's the elites and there's the assault engineers and there's the, um, you know, the SS and I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple the conscripts, the second liners, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting several, but you know, like just even within each nationality, there's subtypes and better types and worse types and more experienced, less experienced. It's just amazing, you know, like, you know, there's, there's not like this, it's just not like the Americans, you know, there, there's what kind of Americans, you know, early war, late war, Pacific war. It's incredible. But again, that speaks to the point. All of those troop types are presented in a format that you inherently understand once you understand the system. The ELR system just works beautifully to conglomerate all these different troop types, differing morale levels, differing uh, capabilities in the beauty that is, you know, what's on a counter. The squad leader counter is, you know, presents all that information. Yeah. I, and, and all of these historical differences are able to be summed up beautifully in that, in that system. Yeah, I'd like to revisit the um, learning about the strategy and tactics uh, in a minute, but I know like Jeff had mentioned, I knew World War II from the war movies and, you know, hadn't studied it really. And so for me, it was learning the hardware, like Jeff said, and like Rich is saying, all these different vehicles. Uh, I know the statistics on the vehicles are very popular amongst uh, miniatures war gamers, right? It's kind of, I had a friend who does all miniature wargaming say, oh, you know, that ASL, people like reference those uh, factors, armor factors and things like that. So uh, even like the Russian machine gun, why does it have five portage points, right? The things, it's like, it's got wheels. Shouldn't it go quicker? <laughs> you know, so I had to look up the pictures of the weapon and oh my gosh, that's bulky. It doesn't, you can't take it apart. So you're learning a lot about the technology. I it got my motivation going, you know, oh, I'm playing this game. This is exciting to, I want to know what it really looks like. And then I know with Dave Timonen, a lot of what I'm doing as he's really getting into the game is trying to bring up the history. Like, oh, let's Google a picture of that vehicle. And then he looks at it like, oh my gosh, that thing is open on the top. And I'm like, that's what I keep telling you, open top. You know? It's the white. Well, the white means it's hard for him to get. Oh, it's easier to throw a grenade in, but look at the picture, you know, uh, that kind of thing. And then like Mike was saying about the troop types or Rich was saying, uh, he's really learning like, oh, these guys, you know, are not trained. He, and he was having a problem with that two range versus the four 
five, you know, that was like rifles, you know, submachine guns and stuff like that. So definitely that aspect of it's there. Um, but isn't there a problem with the tactics? Or was that, and I didn't read the online stuff, uh, but weren't people complaining that it's not, well, Jeff, you said that you learned some things about tactics, right? Or well, I yeah, I, just from playing the game. I don't yeah. know if those are actually how tactics would be applied. Well, what did you learn in, in a situation? Well, just how you uh, you know group don't put everybody in the same hex, keep people spread out, you know, move carefully, but keep moving. You know, keep moving is very important. Uh, you've got to you've got to weigh all of the uh, the pluses and minuses of the strengths of your troops. Things like that are really yeah, are that are re really important, rather than just lining up a bunch of guys and charging. Yeah, you know, you, you have to think about it. Even as simple as taking cover, a plus three building and a plus one woods. Right. Yeah. So yeah, whether or not that holds up, you know, against how tactics are actually actually performed, I don't know. I don't know, and I don't know that it's uh, that it always works that well in real life anyway. Yeah, well, in those articles on Jim Bishop's website uh, reference the actual defensive methods and how that might work in ASL. Yeah. One thing I've never been able to really embrace in the game that always sticks in my craw a little bit, and maybe you guys can convince me that it's a good method, uh, good tool, well-designed, is the sniper. That seems very abstract to me about how the sniper works and moves around the board and uh, can take shots at things and that there is a sniper in just about every scenario is through, you know, that just seems like a, like a random, a very random thing to me. But uh, am I wrong about that? Well, snipers typically acted independently, but you know, their presence was felt in the field. So, and it, if, and from a game perspective, it adds that extra bit of chaos that, mm -hmm you know, would happen in the field, especially regarding picking out officers, right? Because of course, who does the sniper target the officer? So, uh, you know, that we all have those horror stories. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you got You kind of got to go back to the original squad leader sniper, which uh, I, I sort of remember. I don't remember it as good as maybe somebody, but I do remember there was a lot more control over that as a counter in the old squad leader days before advanced squad leader. And then a lot of people complained, as I recall, this is, you know, 30 years ago or more that, well, that was giving you too much control. Just like Mike saying, it really wasn't a, a soldier that was really under anybody's command or control. They were just sort of hunting targets of opportunity. And it's also, I, I, so I like the randomness, maybe you don't Jeff, but I like it. And it's also kind of a balancing, you know, part of the game because generally the SAN numbers are low so if your opponent is rolling low, that means he's doing well and you have a chance to hit him with a sniper and you know, level things out. So I kind of like the, the balancing uh, function that it also serves. Yeah, but it's an abstraction. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. true. But everything in the game is, I mean, we can talk about the tactics uh, and the, the fault in them having, you know, with many people complain about building kill stacks because of those, you know, those tactics weren't used. Oh, but, like... Mike, you were telling me machine guns would be spread out. More. Spread out more, right? Yeah, you I... typically didn't see a concentration of every the way we, you know, the way the game has to be played, right? I mean, it's a foible of, of playing an abstract game over you know 30, 40 years now, 
uh, where we know what to do to get things done properly within the context of the system. And it can't be faulted. I mean, that's just the nature of, a, of an abstract board game. But generally, you know, I, the concepts of the maneuver, fire, surrounding, getting things to route and having no retreat paths. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the, those concepts come through. I mean, we can quibble about the fact that, you know, at, at the end of a typical ASL game, you have, what, 90% casualties on both sides? That, Of course, not the experience of, of most battles. There wouldn't be any armies left. But that's just a foible of the game, right? I mean, you can't fault it for the way a game works. Yeah. Uh, but in general, those principles of maneuver, fire, and surrounding, you know, are remain true through the development of the way people play the game. So in that sense, it's it's successful. Yeah, and whether that's a big strategy, right, of the pincher move and or played out in a small surrounding a farmhouse, whatever. Right, I mean, the, the big, the biggest point of ASL, of course, is the time limit, right? That's what put you puts you under pressure to avoid doing the obvious of if you had forever, you would just there and keep firing, keep firing, right? Because that's not how Army's got things done, you know, I mean, just the application of firepower to simply eliminate the enemy. It's the application of time as a function of the game that forces you to move as units operated to infiltrate, surround, and, you know, cause routing and surrendering. Uh, and that's and how I, the game I, works. I'd like to add also just like something that I think we're missing here, guys, which is, you know, the fun factor which is, you know, there's some things that happen that also, you know, kind of sort of happen in real life, but there's like crazy things that happen, right? There's some crazy, wild, exciting, fantastic uh, storytelling, you know, events that happen, you know, uh, we've all had these examples of, you know, uh, I remember one time I was playing this incredibly fun scenario with, a, with an opponent and I had to take one more hill hex and I only had one Russian squad left and he shot at him and I rolled a two on the morale check, you know, heat of battle. And I was so excited because I thought, yes, now I'm going to, I'm going to pass the morale check because my morale is, is, uh, you know, I passed it with a two and then I'll advance onto this hex and I'm going to win. And I went berserk and berserkers can't advance. <laughs> and the movement phase was over. <laughs> and, and so not because berserkers are not able to advance. So I couldn't, so even though he was unbroken and he survived, so whatever. You know, I, I had two single man counters, one with a flamethrower, one without, and I got shot at, and the one guy with the flamethrower got wounded. He failed the wound check, but then the other single man counter passed the morale check, and then he rolled to recover the wounded guy's flamethrower, which you're allowed to do right in the same phase there that the guy, you know, um, becomes deceased, the other guy that had it originally, and then the flamethrower fired on the bad guys and got him. It was so exciting. I mean, when you imagine what was happening there, it was that, you know, and we can all visualize this, you know, one guy dies and passes the flamethrower on to his colleague as he's his dying breath, you know, go get him tiger or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's so exciting. We, we've had these thrilling moments and, and squad leader lets that happen. It doesn't happen that often. It, well, it shouldn't because, you know, it's crazy thing, but those things happen. And it's so fun when they happen, you know, bad things happen too. I remember once I was playing a player way better than me and he hit me with uh, a Panzerfaust, and I'm thinking, oh boy, I'm dead. And then he rolled a 12, you know, it was a dud, and my tank survived, and I was able to beat him, and here I am thinking I'm such a great player beating this great player, but really, you know, he just got terribly unlucky. Anyway, crazy things happen. And some of that's true in war, right? I mean, Audie 
what's the, who, what's the movie we're supposed to watch, Jeff and Mike? Um, uh, uh, the To Hell and Back? Is that, that yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. And he said he had to downplay the heroics because it right. would believe it. And But that fun factor I've always talked about in this game, you know, there was an Ancients Miniatures game where if you rolled boxcars, you could break through the line. And then if you rolled it high again on the second roll, it could build this great event on the battlefield and the other miniature games don't have that some of them for ancients you know when you line right. up and um and I, I thought that was great it reminded me of yeah. like, rate of fire <laughs> yeah well exactly if i can expand upon that point uh when you talk about asl as teaching history and we tend to look at the you know the concrete facts that it gives us units tanks and such but it's the experience too of asl it might not be realism when it comes to you know maneuver or playing the, the rules of the game but when it comes down to you moving that squad out into the open in a street and you know guys did that in world war ii you're feeling that you know it's the experience of asl and it's fun and exhilarating of course but you can also reflect on the moment where it's like you know guys did this they had to step out into a you know rate of fire in the open and, and it gives you that feel you know i don't think there's any other tactical game outside of maybe a computer game but you know i mean that's not as thought provoking because here you know it you know you know what the objectives are and you know what you're trying to do and you know what's at stake and i i think asl as much needs to be examined through that lens as being a a, a great tool for giving you the experience of world war ii even if it's a little over the top sometimes with the narratives that of course we enjoy like we're talking about but any of those moments where you're taking a shot or you're hoping to you know make a rally roll or you know those those reflect some at least emotional truths that asl brings to the table yeah and like currently dave and i are playing a korean war uh, he has to cross all this open ground and take this get into the building to win and he's they're going i really don't want to do this but i think i said yeah you have to <laughs> and find a way so smoke what are we not thinking about use your smoke uh wear me down try to you know draw my fire or something. <laughs> and that comes with the experience of playing the game too and i've always thought of asl in the context of the complexity of the rules presents not only a war game but a role-playing game in that sense right when you read the when you read squad leader as a title it's not referring to the squads you're moving with the leaders on the board it's referring to you the player because you're the squad leader and you will learn as you play the game it's the beauty of the game because as it referred to as a lifestyle game but it's worth it because you're trying to get the experience of being this squad leader technically a company commander i guess is where the agency of the game lies but playing the game more and more gets you better at the game and you learn as a squad leader so to speak as you move through your experience playing the game and it's an overlooked part of the game because if you think about doing setup defenses you're playing the game as you're setting up the defense it's not just a prep you know i mean you're thinking as a company commander in, in essence you know i mean it's obviously not a real the real experience but it gives you the impression of you know what do i have to do i have to set up a defense this is part of the experience and then you play the game you know and then and then you feel when especially in a campaign game when you're trying to use all the tools and you're trying to preserve your resources and know when to commit and when that objective is worth committing more troops and all these sort of things play out 
and you learn as you play more and more and the experience grows. That's why I love ASL. <laughs> I think I get yeah. the I think I get the most feeling of that when I'm when I've got to deploy uh, not deploy but uh, play with a poor leader. You know, if I've got several poor leaders on the board, it always makes me think what I would do as a company commander if I had poor leaders out in the field. How do you how do you use them effectively? How can you still use them effectively without getting everybody killed? It's just something that I think about as I'm playing with those. Yeah. Uh, it comes up more in that in that aspect than anywhere else in the game. I also occasionally think of, you know, who am I as the as the player? Because obviously in real life, everybody's an individual doing their individual things, but I've kind of got this God's eye view of what's going on. And I, I try to make some sort of a a metaphor back to who, who am I? Who's doing this? And I, I get too locked up in this sometimes too. Maybe I'm too spiritual. I guess well, I'm too spiritual. Yeah, Jeff, when I, when I get into that, like, who am I stuff? Yes. Yeah. I, I start <laughs> thinking like of my cells and my body and molecules spinning yeah. and like galaxies spinning in space. And yeah. am I just part of that? You're just star stuff, Dave. I, I am. And it's, I just... You're a cardboard counter and you don't know it, but yeah. that's okay. And then he just goes into the void. Yeah, far out. Well, you shouldn't play ASL with a black light. Stop it. <laughs> black light. <laughs> I, I see Dave now going and like putting a uh, uh, the the reflective paint on all of his counters so he can do the black yeah. light and play. Yeah, that's yeah. next step. That would I be remember great. when the power went out of my house and a passel night. And we got the flashlights to, to do illuminating rounds. Like, <laughs> well, what aspect of this have we missed? I just want to say also that ASL as a font is instrumental in the love of the game to me, right? When it, this has nothing to do with the history, but it, it's kind of wrapping up what I'm kind of the ideas I'm getting at. When you look at an ASL setup on a scenario card, there's a visceral response to the way the design. I think it's one of the unsung things of the original designers, if it was John Hill's idea, however, formatted those original scenario cards. It just brings you into ASL. There's something so profoundly original about that presentation. That yeah, I mean, it, it right tells you the date, it tells you the place. You know, it was, uh, you know, October of 1944 in this country and near this city these units were present, here was the situation, here was the weather, and you are there, you are there. Yeah. Can you do better? And then they show you what actually happened in the beginning and what happened in the aftermath, they actually tell you. And so that it almost is presenting you with a challenge. Can you do better than the real life guys who lived it and you're there? What do you got? Yeah. You know, it makes you feel like you're there, right, Mike? I mean, you're like, that, that, that's Definitely. Like yep. what you're talking that's about. That's right, yep, exactly. There was something magical about the, the marketing of Avalon Hill and those that era, right? They did a very good job at that whole "Are you there?" business, and it works. It works really well, and particularly in the way they present that package artistically. Yeah. You, you know, that might be why I don't like some of these crazy fantasy games. And maybe we'll bring Jared into it here because I see some of the games he and his crazy friends play that are completely, you know, fantasy. And I generally don't like those games. I guess oh, I do like some, but before, generally I don't like them. Before you get to that, 
Um, I like the way both Rich and Mike had phrased and captured that feeling that I have when I see those scenario cards. Because my limited brain, all I come up with is like, is this cool? <laughs> is this cool? <laughs> <laughs> so well said, gentlemen. So go to the fantasy thing, Jared. Well, I guess before I talk about the fantasy thing, I kind of just wanted to say a couple of things about, I guess, using games as a mechanism of learning history. And I can't really speak too much to ASL other than I've seen a couple of things on it. I've seen my dad play it a lot, but I can say that I think games are a good mechanism for learning history. Uh, like I've played Paths of Glory and I, as a result of playing that game, I learned a lot more about the political events of World War One, and it sort of sparked me to Google certain things like, oh, what's this card based off of in reality? And then you learn an actual, what, what actual event in history that card is based off of. And then I think you guys were saying this a little bit earlier, but it forces you to think like, obviously it's not real. And like, when you're playing this game, you are simulating a historical event where lots of people unfortunately died, but it sort of forces you to think kind of like how those people were thinking at the time, the people who were making the military decisions at the time, and you can, you can sort of maybe start to understand why they made some of the decisions that they made, even if you might not agree with them. And that just helps to understand like that period of history more. Um, like for instance, in, and Paths of Glory is the World War One game. In the beginning of the game, it, it's wide open and it's really easy to make a push. But then at a certain point, you're allowed to start entrenching. And in that game, um, once you're allowed to start entrenching, the war starts to get really bogged down. And so you're always wondering, should I start entrenching? But then if I start entrenching, my opponent can start entrenching. And so that game, I think really, it, I think it, really illustrates well how the war kind of started off as being very dynamic and then it sort of became bogged down on the western front and no one nothing was nothing was really happening other than people just dying um no significant advancements were made um so again i know that's not asl but playing that game gave me a much greater appreciation for that and it sounds like for you guys playing asl also gave you a much greater appreciation for at least on a tactical level of, of what was going on yeah. Um, I could say the same thing about Hero Stand or Virgin Queen, which are all, also historical period games. They're not tactical like ASL, but I mean, when each card is loosely based off a political event, if you just Google something, you're going to learn more about it. And it kind of forces you to learn more about history. Twilight Struggle is another good example. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I like I said, I haven't played ASL, but I do think games are a really good mechanism to learn more about certain historical periods and kind of you can place yourself in the shoes of the people living at that time and, and their strategic objectives for whether you're the Germans World War One or you're the papacy during the Reformation. You know, you can start to think how maybe like how they were thinking at that time. Share the story. I'm a proud dad, so I'm asking you to share the story of when you were in college and you were well, we had a religious studies class, I think, uh, and they asked a question that he didn't that he didn't think any of the students would know, and you knew it from playing Here I Stand. It was, it was like the quote yeah, or something. I, I took a religious studies class at college at, at, at Bradley University, and the professor 
put like a quote on the board and he's like, if you know this quote, and I believe that the quote was, it was a Martin Luther quote. He's like, if, if, if you guys know who said this quote, then you'll get extra credit. And I, and sure enough, I'm like, Oh, Martin Luther said it. And sure enough, I knew it. I, and I sort of knew it cause of here I stand, but I also sort of knew it cause I was raised Lutheran. So a ah. <laughs> uh, little bit of dual was the quote here i stand i can do no other yeah something like that yeah which is literally in the game title here i stand so i learned, I learned it from my dad a methodist pastor <laughs> right right so um there's that um but i i definitely think games are a good way to learn history um and even though like the games are sort of simulating something that is horrific and hopefully humanity never does again um it does give you a greater appreciation of what considerations the people who were in charge at the time were having to consider, you know? So I, plus they're fun. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say they're, they're definitely fun. So. And Rich, you were, you were going to ask Jared about fantasy games and. Yeah. You know, I don't want to make it seem like I don't play any fantasy games. I guess I do play some. We're working on you. But generally, you know, I'm more of a guy who wants to play the historical games you know both computer wise and uh board wise but a lot of the games that my sons play you know are you know computer completely fantasy you know it's like these are not historical events at all they're fictitious everything and again there's nothing wrong with it i'm not saying it's bad it's just saying but you know we just got done saying that what we like about the scenario cards in asl is it's a date it's a time it's a place it really happened you know, they're trying to simulate the forces that were available to each side. I'm sure it's not perfect. You know, how could it be perfect? Because nobody knows exactly how many men and tanks were there on that date and time. But, you know, it, they're trying to approximate it. They're trying to make it accurate. And they're trying to replicate a battle that actually occurred. And we have, you know, thousands of those scenarios in ASL. These fantasy games are not even trying to replicate anything that happened in history. They're not even, that's not even on the list. Jared, you want to talk for? I, I, I'll well, I mean, I you. I like some like I like some MMORPG games. Like I played World of Warcraft before. Um, that's a video game though, so that's totally different than a board game. I haven't really played many fantasy board games, so I can't speak to those too much. But I, I mean, I know I know Mike obviously likes like D and D style games. You guys are playing like that Star Wars game, the role playing game. So I know you guys definitely like that, but. I guess the part about those games I like is even though it's not real, it's like you kind of, you pick your character and you gradually build it up over time and you get stronger and stronger. And in particular with World of Warcraft, Eric and I, my brother play it together a lot. So it's kind of like a way for us to hang out and play. So there's a social aspect to it too. It's not just, it's called MMORPG, Massive Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Game. And I think Mike's familiar with this because he plays Star Wars The Old Republic. So He's probably heard that acronym before. Um, but I mean, it's a whole like world and there's actual people playing their characters in this world. And, and there's like a virtual currency and you pick professions and you level up your character. And I, I know it's not real, but I don't know. It's just nice to lose yourself in that world sometimes and play it. And yeah, it can definitely be addicting, but I don't know. I, I've enjoyed playing it, but it's, a, a, it's a, not it's not for everyone i know it's not for everyone so now my experience would be um i think rich if you could, well okay when i first played D, &D 
I'll never forget sitting in this room at college at the frat and having the first orc attack us. I mean, it's just, I was like, oh, this is so cool. I have a weapon. And now some of those weapons in fantasy worlds are based on historical stuff, right? So a lot of medieval stuff coming out of the D&D stuff. But that element of me imagining that I'm that other place, same thing, I think, when I'm manning that machine gun at Stalingrad. Is that? Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Sure. I think when you're, you know, talking about these games and uh, from the perspective of the greater gaming audience, of course, the question isn't why are people playing these fantasy games, right? I mean, D&D far outweighs ASL in terms of player base and content. Uh, the question is, why do we obsess? You know, is it, our, is it a generational thing that we, the guys in this forum and our friends who play this game, obsessed over the minutia of ASL, right? I mean, it's not just the game. It's that we want to know this information, the difference between the Panzer III and the Panzer IV, and we obsess over these details. And in a similar way that, you know, D&D players will obsess over their character class and the weapons and how they use them in magic spells. But that appeals to a much wider audience than a sort of more historically obsessed people, right? So, uh, I, you know... I think we all know some of the reasons why having more to do with generation. I mean, Jared speaks to it by talking about the more diverse games that appeal to him. He's not going to spend his days pouring over the ASL chapter H wanting to know the difference between, you know, <laughs> the different American uh, tank types and such. Uh, yes. it, it has something to do with our generation. And, uh, you know, and sadly, we'll, uh, hopefully it will keep going, right? I mean, that's the, been the bugaboo of ASL for years is, will it end with us? And, you know, Likely, yes, because why would anybody else need to obsess over something that is mostly appealing to us because of our parents and grandparents? You know, we we come from a time much closer to the war. So uh, to us, these these differences in technology, these differences in troop types are intrinsic to an experience that we had as kids. And that's kind of uh, what Rex Martin was saying. That was Rex was talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of this show, we heard my son call in and say great show but young people don't care about it so so jared do you want to address that a little bit too yeah actually you know i was talking with a co-worker this morning i mentioned i was going to be on on a podcast and it was about this this world war ii board game and you know one of the things he asked me about the game was how thick is the rule book and i said well you know i haven't actually read the rule book but when i've seen it it is pretty thick and we sort of discussed, you know, at work, like that we like board games and we definitely enjoy them, but we think that most people around our age probably wouldn't necessarily want to put in all that time just to play a game. Um, they would, because if you think about it, there's plenty of games like Cyrus of Catan or my coworker mentioned a game called Dominion. I haven't actually played that game before, but he was saying there's definitely strategy in them, but I would imagine nowhere near as in-depth as squad leader. Um, and then you also have to keep in mind, like, I'm probably, I'm certainly guilty of this too, but I've sort of always been able to just to go on the internet and Google stuff and get an answer like that. And, and we can sort of get instant answers on a lot of things and, and there's there's video games and there's just so many other 
mediums of entertainment out there that it's very difficult to imagine someone my age wanting to play squad leader. Don't get me wrong. People my age love playing board games. Like I like playing board games. I've got friends who, when we, when my, when me and my dad play board games, sometimes we invite them. So that we definitely do, but I just think there's so much more entertainment out there and different mediums. And then you add that to the fact that my generation is probably used to being able to get answers on things much faster. And I don't know if it's a recipe for ASL doing well with people my age, but that's just, I'm just one guy. That's my opinion. Haven't even played the game to be honest with you. So I'm still open to maybe trying it sometime. I'm not going to close the door completely, but I want to give, I know that it would have a huge learning curve, right? So it, it would have to be, something I would really have to dedicate myself to, I think. Yeah. And we'll drag you along on that <laughs> at some point. Um, yeah. I'm just one guy. Just remember that. You, know? I, you and my, the thumb. burden of speaking for my generation is, is yeah. a great weight, but just remember, I'm just one guy guys. I just want to run a test on my phone with what you said about access with answers to the rule book and technology. Siri, what does a fireball spell do in D and D 5e? Here's what I found. She found something. It was the right answer. Let me try this. Um, Siri is a leader without a functioning support weapon considered armed for all purposes in advanced squad leader. Here's what I found. Oh, oh no. She's just referencing a few sites you'd have to go and watch, <laughs> including our yeah. podcast, yeah. the two half squad. Well, right here. Yeah. You know, now you, know you ain't going to find it on our podcast. Are there YouTube? Are there any YouTube tutorials? Like, for instance, I pretty much have learned almost everything I need to do at my job through YouTube. So, like, if there's a YouTube tutorial out there on how to play advanced squad leader, I don't know if there is or not. I, I, I'm got, I would hazard a guess that there probably is. I haven't looked, but there are. There are now, but now are they good? It, you got an hour. <laughs> You know, let, let me add, let me add a comment. I, I think what everything is what Jared is saying is very true, but it's a matter of like I'm going to say proportion. I'm going to use the word proportion. So like, it probably took me. Um, I'm going to say like a I want to say a one to one ratio. Uh, when, when I let's say I'm going to play uh, Twilight Struggle, it takes me so long to read the rules, and then I'm going to play the game X amount of times. You know, so like my point is, you know, some games, uh, you know, what I'll call basic games or, you know, games that, that maybe um, Jared has played with me that he mentioned, or, you know, Here I Stand or Virgin Queen, some of these games, you know, it, you might spend five hours reading the rules and maybe, maybe double or even triple that playing the game. So you get like a three to one ratio, roughly speaking, of fun game time versus rules reading, Okay. Uh, and that's a total of, let's just say, you know, five hours of reading and 20 hours of play. So 25 hours of your life consumed by that game. And then you might play it again someday and have to refresh your memory with the rules, whatever. Okay, so if I'm, if I'm close to right, when you think of ASL, I have spent, gosh, I don't know, hundreds of hours mm -hmm. researching the rules, hundreds but I've spent thousands of hours, I mean, 30 years of or more. I started when I was 15. I'm 57 now. 42 years, you know, on and off 
of playing the game, thousands of hours. I know, Dave, you said you've played like over a thousand scenarios or something, and you got to figure at least three hours per scenario. So for you, it's thousands too, for sure. Uh, anyway, so like, what's the ratio there? You know, if I've spent 400 hours reading squad leader rules in my life, I'm just making that up, I don't know, but I've spent 10,000 hours playing it. So the ratio might be better for squad leader. But is a young person willing to devote that many, that high of a proportion, even though they're going to get the payoff, or presumably they're going to get the payoff if they like it, but they're not willing to put in that kind of an investment to get the payoff? Yeah, to right. anything. Would to anything, yeah. It's kind of happening in the music area, too, where uh, I, I follow a guy on YouTube that talks about this quite a bit, where it used to be. You, you get four or five people together that have all spent hundreds and hundreds of hours playing their instruments and they play, they get together and they spend hundreds of hours playing together before they're ready to cut a record. Now a kid can do it and I'm, I'm gonna exaggerate, I'm biased on this. A kid can get a, a, a MacBook and GarageBand and, a, and for his, the only instrument he needs to play is a McDonald's straw or something and he can turn out a record. You know, you don't have to have that investment in the practice and, and everything. And it's more appealing. They can turn out content. They get the content without, without the investment in, uh, in the blood, sweat, and tears. So I don't know. I don't know about the, the future of ASL. It seems kind of grim to me in a way. But we might be surprised if we live 30 more years. Some of you will live 40 more years. Jared will live. You know, we'll find out, I guess. Those round comes around. Yeah. But Richard, that's a great point about that time ratio thing. And I, th I think here's a th thought too. Um, I played Catan with the family and it's never captured my imagination like D&D or Advanced Squad Leader. Now, is that because I'm spoiled? Like even playing Circus Maximus, right? At Chariot Race. You know how I was into that last week, right? I was all like, ah, lash them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That was a great Catan, game, by the way. <laughs> thanks. We got to do it again soon. But yeah, you know, Catan, it's cool, but oh, you're old my number. Oh, I get wheat. I, I don't imagine I'm cutting the wheat, you know, and now I'm going to build a castle. I, I just, it's like numbers. Yeah. And it's fun, but. Am I off on that, or is that is there an element of imagination? And well, like, the computer in the squad leader, the computer takes away the imagination to a certain extent because it sort of is rendering the graphics for you, and and they can make amazing graphics these days, and it's like awesome. MMORPGs, right? Yeah, it's just in like a or any video game, a first person shooter, even. But like you, like my dad had mentioned, he's studying all the rules and stuff. Well, the equivalent in a first-person shooter game would be you play hundreds and hundreds and thousands of games. Like, like when I was growing up, I played hundreds and hundreds and thousands of games of Halo, and I got better and better at it over time. And then we would have, you know, land tournaments for that on our Xbox, whereas my dad was probably playing board games instead, you know? So it's like, it's just, it's just different. Like, I... It's not that I didn't play board games. It's just that dedication of significant amount of time for me went more to video games than it did to board games. And yeah, and then the design the technology is there for it. So the design of the Euro games is that Mike Grizzly? Do you know? Have you thought about that? Why it's not as 
imaginative or gets you into it at that level or is it more abstract the abstractions of euro games is being appealing to more people i guess it's is that so and it, but no one it's not just me that doesn't get into it right imaginatively oh as opposed to D D or asl yeah right well i mean in both instances and i think my comparison to thinking of asl as a role-playing game still holds true in this sort of discussion too uh, i don't think there's any any lack of people out there who love to play games or love to play complex games. Uh, D&D and ASL, I think, represent the outliers of what we consider lifestyle games, right? I mean, D&D doesn't require a knowledge of the rules to participate. That's its biggest draw, right? You can bring in people all the time. Anybody can come in. They don't have to understand all the intricacies of all the various things that D&D presents. ASL requires a community, a community dedicated to the game. You have to know how to play to participate in all of its aspects. I mean, not all the rules, but I mean, you have to understand the game itself. And the desire isn't driven by its complexity. It's desire. It's the topic, right? You have to want to play ASL to play ASL. Uh, there's not a community aspect to the game. When you're in it, you want you're doing it because you want to be there, and you know about the things like overruns and when to pull out a Panzerfaust, and you know, I mean, this is something that drives you to play the game. Obviously not something that's going to be mass appeal to the rest of the world. Uh, people come to the game often because of its reputation for its complexity, but I don't think that's a longevity factor for them, right? I mean, they'll play it. They might be interested in play it to their, the point where they're satisfied having conquered the most difficult game in the world as its reputation is. But uh, for those of us who are in the long haul, we're here because of the topic and wanting to see everything that the game brings to the table, including now all, you know, historical studies and all the, the new campaign games that keep coming out. It's the in-depth knowledge of those historical moments and scenarios that we just keep wanting more of. That's what keeps the game going, at least for now. D&D, um, as we say, is also like that, but anybody can participate. It's not, there's no, there's no knowledge barrier because it is fantasy you can bring your imagination to the table and do whatever you want with it. That's the opposite of ASL, where you're very trying to represent something very specific. You know, it's a historical moment that you're trying to recreate. You can't have an imagination with it because you want things to be the way they were and learn why things worked the way they were. And that won't appeal to everybody. I wanted to add another little personal story that you know, compares, I guess we'll call it real life versus fantasy just for fun. And Jared, this will be for you to comment on. Uh, so when I was, I think I've shared with you guys, maybe not on the podcast, but I've shared with you all that when I was in high school, uh, I was on the rifle team. We actually had rifle teams in those days, which I know today would be very politically incorrect with the school shootings and the tragedies that have happened. But you know, when I was in school, that was actually a team in high school and I participated in that. I was, you know, one of the varsity, uh, you know, target shooters. Anyway, we practiced and whatever. Anyway, so I, I learned target shooting. And we practiced a lot, you know, like almost every day before school, after school, we went to tournaments, what have you. And, uh, you know, so I knew how challenging it is to become an accurate target shooter because, you know, it took a lot of work, just like any activity like that. Well, what, what used to irritate the crap out of me when Jared was younger and him and his brother were playing like this, uh, what was that game you were talking about a moment ago? Uh, Halo, Call of yeah, Duty, insert yeah. any first-person shooter here. Yeah, yeah, Halo. Halo had these like blue guys and red guys that were leaping all over the place and running really fast and jumping off a bridge and going through a whatever. And 
you know, they're shooting all the way as they're falling off the ledge and, you know, hitting all their opponents on the way down as, you know, and like ridiculous accuracy that's like impossible. So I brought my sons both to a rifle range when they were like in, you know, younger age. I can't remember exactly how they were approximately junior high age. And, um, you know, I just wanted them to learn how, what it's like to actually shoot a rifle at a target. And, you know, nobody's moving, nobody's running, nobody's jumping off of bridges. Uh, they were, you know, using the prone position, lying down, which is the most stable, easiest way to, you know, shoot a rifle, if you know about that. And you, you tell them, Jared, you know, what was it anywhere close to how easy it is in Halo? It was just like uh, holding holding the right trigger on the Xbox controller, Dad. It was just like it. And then <laughs> and you, you go prone, you hold B. No, no, it, it wasn't like that at all. It was, yeah, it was challenging. And you have to control your breathing. And it was years and years ago, so I don't remember it. I mean, I remember it, but... I do remember it being challenging and I was prone and you have to hold your breath and yeah, but I mean, that doesn't take away my enjoyment. The fact that Halo isn't a realistic video game doesn't take away my enjoyment of that game. You know, I mean, you're, you're playing a super soldier in that who's like sort of like biologically engineered to be like a superhuman warrior. So it's not a realistic game to begin with, you know, and it takes place in like 2300. So I, I don't, you know, I don't play that to be real, realistic. I played it because it was a fun, like, first-person shooter game, you know? Um, right. I, yeah, I understand. I don't mean to argue with you, but I, I just wanted to, it just to irritate me that I believe that the impression <laughs> that you and your brother were getting was how easy it is to shoot accurately. And no. It's really, it's really hard no. to shoot accurately. <laughs> no. Video games are not real life. Jared, did you ever <laughs> play the Rockstar game? Oh, like uh, Guitar Hero? Guitar Hero, yeah. I, I I played it a tiny bit. I never got super into it, but I know people well, I, who did. I know some people that really liked playing Guitar Hero. Um, but I it's asked not like guitar, ever, is it? I, yeah, I asked them if they ever actually tried to play guitar, and they said, oh, no, that's way too hard. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. So well, it's a fun game, but is yeah. it actually like playing a guitar? I, yeah. No. No, it's not. Exactly. So... Realistic does not equate to a good game or not necessarily. Right. But though it sounds like Squad Leader try, does try to be realistic from yeah. what it sounds. Yeah. And, and it's got the mechanics, as we talked about earlier, I think, that make it a fun game. Once you do learn it, because I'm thinking back to my first ASL games were a little frustrating. You know, the guy was teaching me, right? I'm like, well, what can I do? Whereas the D&D game, as Mike Rizzi said, I felt right away fun because i didn't have to know what the damage of the sword was he would just said roll an eight-sided oh okay roll this oh you want to try this and roll this and we just all went with it but being taught asl it it took a while to get to where i'm now really in the imagination part of that does that make sense yeah you know, sure just to have the let go and have the fun not have to worry about the rules and if you if i played people like rich or you know or even well mike and jeff it, if you can tell me the rules sometime i can just let go and have fun you know help me learn still after all these years <laughs> well i think well, it's part of that idea that um is why the asl community is so welcoming right i mean anybody who's willing to put in that kind of effort in order to participate you want them to thrive, you know, yeah. and I, I have never met an ASL player anywhere in the world who's who was serious that didn't want to, you know, welcome you and nurture you. 
And I think that's reflected in everything that we've seen with your podcast, you know, with all the people you've interviewed. Yep. I still like sending guys out in the street just to draw fire. <laughs> <laughs> you pretend they're people you don't like. I, I know there's hip units here somewhere. I'll just run these guys out in the street. You guys are not in the street. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, then. I guess we can wrap this up. We should wrap this up, but I'm still well, trying to think of who, who am I in the game? <laughs> <laughs> and where are you going? And where did you come from, Jeff? Yes. <laughs> but I meant to interrupt in the middle with a what's in the bag. Oh. It's our next prize, everyone. Oh, we got a oh, we got a contest. We got a contest. And it's 300, no offense to the scenario packs that we've been giving out the last several shows, but if it's a big show and I'm a big guy, should it be a big prize? Yes. Are you gonna show us? No, I'm really relishing this moment. <laughs> Are you ready? We're ready. Can I get a, ready. not a drum roll, that'll be bad for the audio. Some kind of sound effect. Uh, God, Jeff. Jeff used to throw sound effects at me all the time. I don't know. You listen back to those shows. That organ monkey grinder song. That yeah. really threw me for a loop. <laughs> also, Rich, when you were talking about Jeff's wit, it's very true. But I listened back to episode 125 like last week. I'm trying to update the, um, what do you call it, where we list what's on each episode index. Yeah. And I, it was funny and we were both really witty and quick and now i listen to us and we're just like older and slower we can't think of words anymore <laughs> are you ready we're ready well i'm ready and i'm speaking bum, for everybody bum, 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 bum. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, you can't boom. see it. I can't, we can't see it. Wait, wait. Oh, there, there you go. go. Boom, boom. Wow. Oh, it's very nice. Manila. It's an actual game. It's not just the box. It's shrink wrap. So you can resell it on eBay. <laughs> Nobody's going to resell that. No, they would never oh, do yeah. that. Don't Who say that. Who wants to win <laughs> Sword and Fire Manila? Yes, we paid for this from the listener donations jeff yeah we did thanks to everybody for your donations well so, that's great what's uh what's how do they get this great item dave that's the next question jeff i think they have to call in audio okay like we heard at the beginning of the show all those wonderful backhanded compliments from our listeners <laughs> um okay call in and tell us what they love about ASL? What, what do you guys they love think? about the two half squads? How about that? No. Because it's episode 300. I know. I did think of that. Yeah. No. So you can go to the what? website. Go to our website, which is the two half squads.com, and you'll find a spot there where you can click and leave a message for us. And tell us what you love about the two half squads. No, about oh, ASL. About ASL. <laughs> All right. And then we'll do a drawing. We'll collect all those and do a drawing, and uh, you could win, win Sword and Fire Manila, which is yeah. What's the date today? It's July twelfth. Uh, How about August first deadline? Deadline of August first. Hard deadline. Hard deadline. Don't ask us to extend unless you really want to. 
That's right. And no overseas buyers. Sorry, it's going to cost too much to ship. Yeah. To our wonderful friends in France and Iceland, Nigeria, just going to cost too much. So continental United States only. Please. Yeah. Continental? Will we send to Hawaii or Alaska? No. Okay. Canada? No. Really high. No. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, there we go. Unless you want to pay for the ship. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's going to wrap up this show, right? I guess so. Okay, I we were going to do so much more, but when you have such great guests who can talk so intelligently about stuff that I can't talk intelligently about, it makes a good, really good show for an hour plus. All so, right. Well, that's it. Come so, back, Jeff. Come back, right. Jeff. Come back, Jeff. 300 is in the tank and uh, thanks for everybody for listening. Thank we, you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Rich. Jared. Here's to 300 more, I hope. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so remember, roll low. And rally, and rally well, well. But not, not when you're playing us. us. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, everyone.